Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert and i am on the road today at sally kate winters family services we are just by the railroad tracks here in west point mississippi rhino taking care of business back there at the super talk headquarters morning rhino howdy howdy We'll be, of course, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Got a great program lined up for you today. We've got uh, folks affiliated with the Sally Kate Winters Family uh, Services Organization. We'll be on the program today, Janika McGee and Q Baker. Uh, Janika is the Transitional Living Advisor for Sally Kate Winters and Q Baker, a current Transitional Living uh, program resident here at Sally Kate Winters. Uh, we've got other folks uh, from uh, SKW that will be with us today. And also we've got Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics from Mississippi State University. Jim will join us here on location. We'll talk about the current uh, status of the economy and other issues affecting us economically speaking. We've got Senator Angela Turner Ford on the program as well. We'll get in update uh, uh, in her thoughts, I should say, a recap on the uh, the legislative session 2023. It is all sunny die out of here over with for 2023. And uh, also, Rhino, we got President Donald Trump up in New York today. He is uh, scheduled to be arraigned at uh, 2.15, I believe, 2.15 Eastern Daylight Time. All indications are it's only going to take 15 minutes or so to complete the arraignment. Also, uh, the court ordered that there will be no cameras available for the arraignment in the uh, in the courtroom. You see that as well, Rhino? Is that what you're Yeah, they're supposed is? to give the uh, there's a select group of I think five photographers that'll be allowed to take photographs and then they'll be ushered out and then the arraignment will begin. But the the reporters and journalists have been lining up since noon yesterday to get into the the courtroom. Yeah. Uh, and of course there are crowds all over the place, both uh, pro and Against Donald Trump in this situation, the mayor, Eric Adams, has encouraged everyone to behave and act responsibly. New York City Police Department is all ready to go. 
uh, just there in case there might be any sort of uh, uh, altercations <laughs> take place, if you will, and any sort of, of unruly protesting. Uh, of course, the left is all worried about Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think she's present, and they say she uh, can often incite violence through her hate speech. Just incredible. I don't really expect anything, though. Now, yesterday we got a question on the ceasefire text line we didn't get to, Rhino, and that is if the president is arrested or convicted, um, can he still be a candidate? They're talking about Donald Trump, the former president. Can he still be a candidate for president? And the answer is yes. The Constitution lists only three qualifications for the presidency. Got to be 35 years old, be a natural-born citizen, and must have lived in the United States for at least 14 years. That's it. That's it from the constitutional perspective. And don't and so, forget, Joe yeah. Exotic is running for president from <laughs> federal prison. <laughs> Which is fully legal. That's happened before. On two occasions, I think, Rhino, in 1920 in my research and in 1992. 1920, uh, Eugene V. Debs ran for president. And I'm fairly certain was incarcerated at the time. And then there was someone in uh, the year sticks in my head, but I can't remember who it was. 1992. Who was that? That was Lyndon LaRouche. That's it. Lyndon LaRouche. Thank you. Couldn't recall the name. 1992 was in jail, right? So both of these individuals were candidates for president while they were locked up in jail. Now, honestly, I'll have to admit, I thought after Trump's indictment, he would struggle raising money. But in fact, he's raised $8 million bucks. Yesterday, I think we reported $4 million. The latest data shows the former president has raised $8 million since he was indicted, which is incredible. And I think this is backfiring on those who want to see the president uh, locked up, and what they're really trying to do is diminish his chances to be elected, and I think it's backfiring on him uh, because his name's all over the place. He's absolutely dominating the news cycle uh, on both, um, uh, let's say, both persuasions of networks, if you will. Those that are left-leaning, those that are right-leaning, they're featuring this as just a big news item. Not every day you see a former president indicted and, more importantly, arraigned. And that's the big day. You know that's going to dominate. And so his name's getting out there. He's taking all the air out of the, out of the, uh, the room, if you will. About an hour ago, a couple hours ago, I guess, on uh, Donald Trump's Truth Social, social Media Network, he posted the following. Very un- all caps. You know how Donald Trump has a flair for the dramatic. He says very unfair venue, with some areas that voted one percent Republican. This case should be moved to nearby Staten Island. Would be a very fair and secure location for the trial. Additionally, the highly partisan judge and his family are well-known Trump haters. 
He was an unfair disaster on a previous Trump-related case. Wouldn't recuse. Gave horrible jury instructions and impossible to deal with during the witch hunt trial. He goes on to say his daughter worked for Kamala and now the Biden-Harris campaign. Kangaroo court with four exclamation points after it. Well, the president, the former president, does have a bit of a point there. Uh, I would say it, 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 it is, I think, reasonable to think that a, um, a high-profile political figure, former political figure, and now a, uh, as a president and now a presidential candidate, doesn't get any higher than that in this country from a political perspective. How in the world can you get a fair trial in a venue that leans the other way from a political perspective? I, I tend to agree with him on that point. Um, but is there is it possible to assemble a jury and have a venue that would be fair? I guess you'd have to find a setting that's somewhat split, somewhat moderate. Start thinking about interviewing uh, prospective jury members. That's a tall order for a for a judge there, and the court uh, to to. Uh, I think convene a jury that could be somewhat fair in nature if there is such a thing when you've got such a highly charged polarizing figure it wouldn't really matter what side of the political aisle they're on how how do you get that uh, situated so that it's somewhat fair I'm not sure it it is on uh, on the ceasefire text line you can't buy this type of free publicity President Trump is getting. I totally agree. Retton Ridgeland says, while I appreciate the historical relevance of being here to witness this event, I don't care about Trump's political health after this. Give me a Ron DeSantis Tulsi Gabbard ticket and take my vote. She could learn a lot from him. Um, I couldn't support that. And I tell you why, if you if you do some deep diving into Tulsi Gabbard's political or excuse me, economic philosophy, uh, it is at odds with mine. She is not a free market capitalist. She is a tried and true, died in the wool, big government socialist from an economic perspective. So while I generally support her positions on limited government and and um, keeping government out of your life and, and freedom, and her foreign policy positions, her understanding of the, uh, the the proper, appropriate use of our military, she's serving in that. I totally agree with her on, on those issues, but from an economic perspective, which I happen to believe are by far the most important, and that which affects Americans more than anything else, uh, nope, she's not a good choice there. By the way, uh, Donald Trump has been doing oppo research on Ron DeSantis. We'll talk about later on in the program what he says uh, about his potential primary challenger and uh, competitor, I should say, in Ron DeSantis. When we come back, Janika McGee and Q Baker here at the Sally Kate Winters Family Services. We're coming right back. It will soon pass, whatever it is. Don't worry, be happy. I'm not worried. I'm happy. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
I got rice cooking in the microwave. Got a three-day beard I don't plan to shave. And it's a goofy thing, but I just gotta say, hey, I'm a doing all right. Yeah, I think I'll make me some Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live on location in West Point, Mississippi at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. You can donate at Sally Kate Winters, all one word, dot org. Lunch provided today by Sweet Peppers Deli in Columbus. And joining us now in the Element Well Studios, right in front of Sally Kate Winters Family Services, is Janika McGee transitional living advisor and Q Baker current transitional living program resident Janika Q thanks for coming on middays thank you thank you for having you bet all right Janika start with you tell us exactly what your role is as a transitional living advisor so I'm the mental health person pretty much when they come into the program we um I provide the mental health services. Um, if medication is needed, I provide, you know, I get the resources for that. Um, we have weekly sessions. Um, anything dealing with mental health, I deal with. Okay. And so, have you been working with Q? I have been working with Q. How's that been going? It's been going good. What do you think, Q? Um, it's going good. All right. How, how long have you been in the program, Q? Um, right now, pushing back on almost a month. Okay. You seem to be doing great. You look great. Thank you. <laughs> Are you a Dodgers fan? Um, no, sir. Just you a got a shirt on. <laughs> just a t-shirt. Okay. Do you, uh, what about basketball? Do you watch the basketball game last night? Um, yeah. The national championship. You, no interest. Not I wouldn't either. Ball. Yeah. Okay. You like professional? Who's your favorite team? Um, Devin Nuggets. Really? Any particular players there you like? Um, Jamal Murray. Yeah. You play a little round ball yourself, I bet. Somewhat, somewhat. That's right. I see. What's well, fun, though, isn't it? Yes, sir. Those guys are pretty good. Mm-hmm. How's it been going for you since you've been here with Sally Kate Winters? Um, I had a couple ups and downs starting off, but right now I feel like I'm adjusting better and putting myself in better shoes to live with. Okay. What uh, what sort of goals do you have at this point? What would you like to do? Um. I want to get my CDLs, but, no, in Mississippi, some parts of Mississippi, you got to have your license two years, so mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit of str- little bit of a struggle, but I know I'm going to be able to do it. Okay. Well, a little a little wait for that will be worth it, won't it? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, uh, Janika, how, how many are you presently advising in your role? Right now we have five males. Okay. So, yeah. Is it is it typically more males than females? Is there and is there a reason for that? Normally, it's more females okay. than males. This okay. is our, I think, second time we have had a house full of males. And uh, are they all coming along? They are <laughs> doing well. <laughs> <laughs> they working hard. Q just did his interview today, so he should be getting the job soon. Okay, good. Um, and w- what would that be doing? You want to tell us, Q? Um, trying to work at Wendy's. Okay. Sure. Uh, here in Westport? Yes, sir. Okay. Right down the road to be on, um, is it? Yeah. Uh, d- did you uh, like the folks that you interviewed with? Felt like you'd be a good fit for you? Mm-hmm. Very great fit. Good. 
And so in the meantime, you'd still be working towards that CDL license, right? Oh, working towards my driver license for now. Okay, and then to the CDL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, what what would you do? Drive, drive a truck? Um, my whole plan is to leave the state of Mississippi. So when I get my CDLs, look for a job outside of Mississippi, and if the benefits and payment is right, I'm leaving. Why do you want to get out of Mississippi? I've been here my whole life, and life in Mississippi really isn't for a young person. It's too slow here. Too slow. Where do you think you'd want to live? Anywhere other than Mississippi, to be honest. Well, we hate to lose you. We want to keep good people like you here. You know, when I graduated from college, uh, I thought the same thing. Moved away. I lived all over the country. Lived in California, lived in Oregon, lived in New York. Came back, started a company here. I was 27 when I started that, and I've been here ever since. So don't uh, don't discount the opportunities here. We need good people. Yeah, he's really great when it comes to his peers. Very much so. He's a leader. Well, that's that's important. We need we need good leaders. I want to call myself a leader. I'm still following footsteps right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't don't. Uh, don't underestimate yourself. You, you'd be surprised when you're put in those positions, and 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 folks uh, like uh, Janika who observe people uh, a lot, young people, that they have a pretty good sense of that. So I believe her when she says that you can be a leader. Uh, it's got to be rewarding, Janika, working with um, some of the uh, the program residents and helping them get on their feet. And, and be productive in society. Any any in particular recently that um, sort of touched you and stayed with you? I know you've got a probably a long list that keep with you. I think the most rewarding part is when they call back and let me know, hey, I'm doing well, I'm doing this, I'm about to graduate. Um, I know one of them, she's about to graduate from Mississippi State, and so it makes me feel good to know that I had a help in that. So, yeah. Um, What are some of the typical sorts of outcomes you see coming out of the program? When they come in, their life is usually in chaos, right? Right. Some sort of stress. Right. Pretty much have nothing. No family support. Um, Of course, no money, no place to stay. But then when they leave, for the most part, I have seen them have money find a place to stay and they have more support than they came in with so would it be accurate to say that the program here and the support provided by sally kate winter sort of fills that family void becomes their family is that fair i would say yeah because they always come back they always come back just to say hey i was in the neighborhood and i just wanted to speak and see you so yeah like you wouldn't a family like you would a family so I, th- I think we know from uh, from observation and analysis that young folks that have that sort of family structure and support uh, tend to produce better outcomes, and um, they, they end up being productive adults and members of society, and that's really what this is all about, is it not? The programs here is to, is to provide that sort of support system so they can right. reach their fullest potential. Right, because they become family. I mean, whether you believe it or not, they become family because what I would do for my family, I do for them. 
and yeah. probably a little bit more. Yeah. So you love them as if they were your family, right? I Is do. that fair to say? It's fair to say. I can tell you get a little emotional about that, and that's fine. You should, <laughs> as yeah. we all do with, with respect to our family. But uh, So your your service is uh, important to the community, to the state. i got to believe you wish you could touch more. Folks that I know that uh, kind of have a charitable heart like you do and, and work in a role where they are are serving others and trying to get them on their feet, make them as productive and successful and balanced, stable as it can be. There are probably more that need that than you can get to, unfortunately. Right. But you're um, you're getting to as many as you can, and this organization does, and that's that's important because without it, you think about all the people that would be left with nothing. Right. And no telling what turn their their lives would take. Right. And often, is it true that you, you end up getting involved, the organization does, just at the right time, at the, in the nick of time? Right. That maybe if you hadn't, it could have been a different outcome. Right, because, I mean, more than likely, most of them are at the end of the road where they have nothing. And even with the mental health part, no medication, no psychiatrist that they're seeing. And so when they come here, we're making sure that that's provided so that they could be productive citizens in society. Yeah. Q, are you you glad you're part of the program? Do you, can you think of where you might be if you hadn't been um, participating? Um, I don't want to imagine where I would be right now if I wasn't in Salicate. If you just want to be 100%. In a lot of parts of Mississippi, it's a cold world, so we need places like this just for the take time, relax, get your mind right, and see what you need to be doing as a yeah. person. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like you're well on your way. Uh, I certainly wish you all the best with your, your future endeavors, Q, and we thank you very much for, for being here and coming on the show and sharing your story with us, and, and all the best to you, man. I hope you think about one day coming back to Mississippi. I understand you want to you wanna get out and explore, but we need good people here. Appreciate it. Yes, Janika, thanks for your for all you do and and helping these kids get on their feet and turning them into uh, productive adults. Uh, every life is precious, and and they deserve to achieve their fullest potential. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Don't forget, you can donate at sallykatewinters.org. When we come back, we got more talk, and then at uh, 10.50, the segment after that, it's Maddie Nelson, Five Horizons, and Sally Kate Winters, Family Services Community Partner. Mississippi. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are at Sally Kate Winters Family Services in West Point, Mississippi, and 
That bit of uh, rumbling noise you hear in the background would be a train about 80 yards from my point right now. Thankfully, Rhino, when the engine was approaching the crossing there and honking its horn, which about blew me out of the chair here, fortunately, that all happened while we were on the brake. So I'm just watching the boxcars. Uh, zip by right now and hopefully they'll be out of here in a minute so of course the legislature the Mississippi legislature sunny died as we indicated that would be at two around 2 a.m. on Saturday morning this past Saturday morning April 1 uh, and April 1 also marked the first day where Medicaid is set to uh, Medicaid organizations, which are, of course, operated by states. They are now compelled by the federal government, actually, to begin disenrolling those no longer eligible. We've talked about this quite a bit. Remember, there was a rule put into place in 2020, signed into law by President Donald Trump, that is described as the continuous enrollment provision, which essentially told the states you cannot kick anybody off of Medicaid until the public health emergency ends at the national level or a rule is issued by the uh, the, um, federal government that would essentially rescind the continuous enrollment provision and the enhanced funding from the federal government during that period. Well, all that was, in fact, put into effect uh, and as of April 1. That would be this past Saturday. So states now begin disenrolling those in the Medicaid program who were no longer eligible. In addition, the federal government starts to wind down its enhanced funding. 6.2% went to all 50 states, an additional 6.2%. That will begin phasing out effective this month through the uh, month of September of this year. But immediately states are to disenroll those on their Medicaid rolls who are no longer eligible. It is estimated uh, the numbers to be that will be removed from Medicaid 15 to 20 million nationwide, some 18 to 20 percent of the total enrolled in Medicaid, which spiked all the way up to 91 million. 91 million across this country enrolled in the Medicaid and CHIP program, which is free or low-cost coverage, depending on the program, but for the most part, free coverage to those that are covered by Medicaid. So in Mississippi, it's estimated this will affect 100 to 120,000 adults or children. And keep in mind, in Mississippi, since the state has not expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act uh, that which would extend coverage to uh, able-bodied adults 
who have an income between 100% of the federal poverty level and 138% of the federal poverty level. So uh, that group has never been on Medicaid. This would affect pregnant women. This would affect the disabled, blind, and low-income elderly who were enrolled in the program, as well as children. So that's all going to effect, and we're not hearing a lot about it now, but I do predict that we're going to hear a lot as people are essentially kicked off the the, um, the rolls. And you're going to hear the left in particular is going to go crazy about this. I think they're going to use it um, in a beneficial way from a political perspective. We will see. But that's going into effect. Now, uh, earlier in the show, in the first segment, I talked about Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump possibly having at it in, on the Republican in the Republican primary uh, for president and a Trump pack, a super pack aligned with a former president is investing a whole bunch of money in a campaign ad attacking Governor Ron DeSantis on his position on Social Security and Medicare. They're trying to sort of paint him as a an establishment insider. Well, it's because of DeSantis's voting record when he was in Congress, specifically on measures pertaining to Social Security and Medicare, and where he uh, actually voted in favor of privatizing the Social Security program. He voted in favor of raising the age of eligibility for the programs and so they're they're trying to paint him as a um, as a republican who seeks to reduce medicare and social security benefits now i personally have a problem with this because donald trump's made it very clear we simply can't touch it actually what he said is there's enough waste and abuse in government uh, and fraud in government, mainly waste that could be uh, stripped out of government in in order to afford the increases in Medicare and Social Security benefits. That's not true either. That math doesn't work. I'm all for stripping all the fat out of government. Lord knows there's plenty, but there's not trillions upon trillions. <laughs> That's just not true. That that would mean uh, eliminating the entire government. You got to do more than that. I'm all for that, and we should be constantly doing that. Honestly, it's always amazing to me that we even have to have that conversation. Why, why do we have to wait for some more serious event, such as hey, Social Security can't make its payments, Medicare can't cover Part A or B? Why do we have to wait for that to start rooting out waste, fraud, abuse in government? We ought to be doing that 24 hours a day, honestly. And that should be, but that never seems to get the traction it should. It's not sufficient, however, to offset the the financial difficulties that these programs are are facing. Half faced, they just the can's been kicked down the road. Nobody wants to take it seriously. But so now we got Donald Trump who says we can't touch Social Security, and Medicare. Okay, well, President Trump, then what is your plan? 
to salvage these programs, to put them on sound financial footing, to preserve them for future beneficiaries. He's not offered anything other than, well, we just need to cut waste out of government. Okay, but let's do the math on that. Where's the analysis on that? I don't believe it's even remotely close to dropping the bucket to what's needed to put these programs on sound financial footing. So anybody that comes forward and says, we got to address these programs, and there are others besides Ron DeSantis when he was in the Congress, but Senator Johnson of Wisconsin, Senator Rick Scott of Florida, both of, of whom have been uh, very outspoken in calling on Congress to address these, these shortfalls, these issues. And as soon as you do, it's, it becomes a, a political firestorm, in, and, uh, and it's used against you politically. Thomas and Greenwood says, then why not call for stripping the fat out of state government? I have, Thomas, but the problem is there's no consensus on what the fat is. It's much easier in the federal government because some of the crazy stuff that you see in the federal government across the spectrum of government, not just non-defense programs, but defense programs, but... The difference is, Thomas, is that 70% of federal spending consists of Social Security, uh, Medicare, debt interest, and a host of other um, uh, welfare programs, honestly, is what they are. They're just redistribution programs. So 70%. We could strip the entire Department of Defense down to zero and still produce a deficit. We don't have that situation in the state government where half of the budget is the Department of Education. And I know you're a proponent of consolidation. I'm certainly willing to look at school district consolidation as well. I do not share your view, however, that doing such would would, uh, produce the kind of savings that you seem to believe it would. But you've also not ever produced that I'm aware of any sort of financial analysis. Uh, And, of course, a lot of people say, well, if we just quit sending money to foreign countries sure that's a great start it's 40 billion dollars a year that too is a just a drop in the bucket that would would achieve nothing we've got to talk in terms of trillions not billions trillions and i know you may say well bunch of billions add up to trillions they do but you got to find bunch of billions and that ain't it so we're going to step aside for a break right here. When we come back, Maddie Nielsen, Five Horizons, and Sally Kate Winters, Family Services Community Partner. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right. We are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in West Point, Mississippi at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Don't forget lunch provided today by Sweet Peppers Deli in Columbus. Tea is provided by uh, Milo's. And also they now have their extra sweet tea available in gallon jugs. Maddie Nelson, the Five Horizons and Sally Kate Winters Family Services Community Partner is our guest now here at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Also, SallyKateWinters.org. That's the site you navigate to in order to donate to this fine organization. Maddie, thanks for coming on Middays. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about Five Horizons. Exactly what do you, that uh, does, that organization. Yeah, so we're a nonprofit sexual health clinic um, in Starkville. And so our main focus is just to provide accessible, um, quality health care, and as well as affordable. So all of our services are available with or without insurance. Um, we provide HIV testing, HIV care, STI testing, birth control, um, HIV prevention services, really kind of the whole spectrum. And so are, are you serving a certain age range? So we we really can see anyone, um, typically really adolescent age and up. Okay. Um, but, yeah, our services are kind of open to everyone, anyone who really needs us. Okay. Are most of them from the area? From yeah. The- so we serve, um, I believe it's maybe around 12 counties in um, Mississippi. Okay. Um, but... Mostly everyone comes from around the the Golden Triangle area and around maybe Knoxby County and stuff. How did they come to encounter uh, Five Horizons? How did they how did they come into your care or your council? So we get a lot of referrals from community partners um, like Sally Kate, um, the health department. A lot of people just kind of you know find us. We I. I'm an outreach specialist. I do community social work. Um, so some people may find me, you know, just out in the community, maybe at an education event, um, a lot of students at Mississippi State as well, um, and they just come and see us whenever they need us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how do you guys work with Sally Kate Winters? Yeah, so we have a service agreement with Sally Kate. Um, we just recently provided um, education services to their staff just to kind of get them equipped on everything that we do, and they provided the same, um, so vice versa. And really, we just kind of also uh, exchange referrals, um, and we plan to also be able to provide um, sexual health education and sexual health kind of resources to um, Sally Kate's clients as well. Gotcha. So what's what's the typical outcome that you're looking to achieve when, when you're working? And it may be different depending on the case and, and the situation, but what, what usually are you trying to, uh, to help with? So um, are you talking about our clients specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Um, I guess it, it, it does depend on, um, you know, it's just definitely a case-by-case thing. But specifically for people who are living with HIV, um, what we really strive for is to get them to an undetectable viral load, um, which is essentially um, where a person who's living with HIV, when they're undetectable, they can't pass the virus on to a partner sexually. Um, and so that also just produces the best um, health outcomes as well. But really for everyone else, just to... Um, 
really just get them thinking about how they can protect themselves and protect their um, their own health. And so whether that's routine testing, um, starting prep, starting birth control, really anything, um, whatever is best for them. Yeah. Sometimes I would expect that some of the cases that you, you deal with, uh, those sorts of, of problems they're experiencing are, are just flowing into the and spilling into other parts of their lives as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's really where partnerships with, like, Sally Kate really yeah. come in. Um, you know, for, for example, a person who may be um, experiencing, um, like, trafficking or sexual abuse, a sign that we should look for is frequent STI testing or frequent STI diagnoses. And so for us to be able to have a relationship with um, Sally Kate, such a great organization who would be able to have those resources available to help them um, is really crucial to what we do. So we we really want to look at helping people from a holistic perspective rather than just solely focusing on physical health and really make sure that everyone's needs are um are really taken care of yeah makes sense yeah sounds like it's much needed and and great service uh to the community and those that uh that have those particular needs yeah absolutely appreciate it maddie nelson five horizons and sally kate winters family services community partner thank you uh, appreciate you coming on Maddie. thank you thank, thank you. you yep we're stepping aside for a break right now it's top of the hour you know what that means it's fox news super talk news when we come back on the other side it's jim leggett lecturer of economics mississippi state university stay with us And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are live at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. We thank you so much for joining us again to donate. It's Sally Kate Winters, all one word, dot org. And uh, joining us now, Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at uh, Mississippi State University. Good to finally uh, meet you in person there, Jim. Eyeball to eyeball. Doing good. How about yourself? Yes, sir. Doing great. Appreciate you coming on. Was uh, just checking the starting out from an economics uh, perspective. Uh, Today's... uh, Jolt's report from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, that, of course, is the job openings and labor turnover summary. I'm not sure. It seemed like some conflicting data there. I'm not sure that it was too instructive. Uh, of course, we know the Fed is looking for there to be an increase yeah. of unemployment. But not this doesn't, too much. <laughs> but not too much. That's right. They don't want the so-called hard landing. Yeah. Um, and it, it does appear that we've got a decrease, slight decrease of job openings. But overall, not really a lot of change. No, I think the good news is uh, excuse me, inflation is five and a half, which is better than nine, but not where you need to be. Yeah. And I think what you're t- highlighting in that, that statistics is 
maybe we don't know what, which way is happening. I really don't think we do. Hey, no, and I'm glad you and I don't have to actually make a decision. <laughs> we just get to talk about it. That's right. But I think, uh, I think, you know, there was always an uncertainty, and I think the implications of that bank failure, Silicon Valley Bank, which is one of the ba- biggest bank failures ever, yeah. Uh, is still raising its ugly head, and I think if you kind of dig into why that bank failed, yeah, it's a combination of uh, the wrong kind of regulation, and they had set up a business based on low interest rates, and then that changed on, on them overnight, and they, I don't think they were able to adapt quick enough. It, well, I agree with you, and you know what? What really astonished me once uh, the, the SVB failed, and, and we got we started seeing a lot of data about uh, their their loan portfolio, yep. and of course, then their investment portfolio, yep. both of which were bad, yes. honestly. So, yes. uh, which I think ultimately is what led to failure. <clears throat> of course, that calls to mind. Well, where were the regulators? Where 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 was the supervisory? Uh, role of uh, the Fed because they should be aware of that sort of stuff and, and that's watching what all out these for stress it. tests and all that stuff that's was what about. It's for. And I think it's probably you know the Fed like everybody else. You know, military analogy. Uh, we're still fighting World War II, but that's long since gone. <laughs> and I think the other thing you were talking about their portfolio business. Yeah, a buddy of mine uh, has had just uh, retired from a uh, t- high tech company that failed. Right, and that was the only bank that would do business with them. Yeah, and, and they had a lot of those kind of customers as well. Borrowers. And I, I kind of said, I'm not sure I would could call one of those guys with a straight face and peddled it. And he said, Well, I have to. <laughs> well, you know, when I was, it's been a long time, but yeah. when I was out looking for capital to to start my business, which was a a, a startup with yeah. air, no no assets and nothing but um, a vision. Yeah, that's it. And a young guy that was willing to work hard to do yeah. it. But that don't get you a loan, as you know. What, yeah. what happened to the old concept of Asset-based lending. I kind of thought that's what all these regulations. I did too. That's what it was supposed. But they weren't loaning money here on assets. They were loaning money on uh, the prospect of repayment of the debt through cash flow. Well, you got a brand new startup business. You got no assets to pledge, and you don't have any security. That's just not going to work. And that's what my friend's company did. They basically pledged their receivables. Yeah, what receivables? You got to sell something first at a handsome fee, (laughs) and I'm sure that was not a unique part. And then I think they got. Hammered again when their interest rates went up, and they got yeah. so it was a train wreck waiting to happen. The good news is, I think it's contained. You know, the FDIC's probably took a forty billion dollar hit, and whoever ended up buying them probably took another haircut. So I think it's contained. But I think what you're really saying, you know, bank failures are scary things. Yeah, you know, you know we thought that was something you only thought about in the Great Depression, but. Uh, 2008, you know, we got came real close to busting the FDIC. So, and if you kind of look in the nature of banking, that's kind of yeah, it's ba- baked into it. <laughs> there, there was a uh, somewhat of a of a run. I don't know if I call it a run, but yeah. let's just say there was a, a lot of folks that withdrew their money. Yeah, I think some ninety hundred billion dollars yeah. in like a uh, a week or so. Yeah. Uh, but I think they just moved it to other banks. That's right, yeah. It just flowed into the four or five largest uh, banks in the country. Yeah, and then probably more, more stable, or at least bigger. And then you go, well, so why do you, didn't you insure it? But if you're running a business of any size, quarter-million-dollar operating... It's nothing. Doesn't get you anywhere. It's nothing. You know, you yeah. know, so, uh, you know, bank scare, failures are scary things, you know. And in fact, is 
literally right before we started spring break, I lectured on bank failures. And and there's a scene from Jimmy Stewart, how he saved the bank. Little did I know, twenty four as I was speaking about this, it was actually happening. A buddy of mine that went sailing with said, what, what about Silicon Valley Bank? Well, I hadn't looked at the news in 12 hours. It's like, wow. Thank you, Wall Street. Uh, thank you for the material. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, with respect to the economic outlook, yeah. uh, I, I'll just uh, share with you Jamie Dimon, who I think is an excellent CEO, maybe yeah. the best in the country, certainly the best, in my view, bank CEO. He's, and, a, and he's had a long Moore. tenure. Long, very long tenure, very successful. Well, a few months ago, he was pretty down. I mean, he was really predicting dark days for the economy. Economy doom and gloom. This morning or yesterday, late I should say, it was reported this morning. He made comments, uh, used the word "sunny." He has a sunny outlook. <laughs> They're calling him Sunny JP Diamond. So, why do you think to pivot there? Maybe uh, he uh, we got through that rough. What could have gone really bad? Could be. And then I, I'm somewhat encouraged about the. Uh, maybe we are achieving the soft landing. You know, we, we talk about this in a year. You can tell me I missed it, and that's okay. <laughs> Well, that's why we always talk about economists. You have to have two hands, right? It's always. Yeah. But on the other hand, so that's and, kind of, and there's another joke I like to use about forecasting. You give them an event or, or a date, but never the two simultaneous. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can predict the final four. I just can't tell you what year. <laughs> you know, I tried that on Wall Street. It doesn't work very well. They want all the above. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, but here we are. So we're we're. Starting to see what appears to be inflation moderating. However, with OPEC cutting production, you're already expecting 15 20% increase in the price of gas here in the, yeah. in the short term, yeah. right as we head into the summer yeah. driving season. Well, that's a big part of top line inflation. That's right. And that's um, the one the average person you know sees. They don't care about CPI. They see those numbers. Yeah, because you see all over the signs on the road, yeah. right? I mean, that's kind of your gauge of what how's inflation going, and, and you sort of look at the price of gas, and then, of course, when you're in the grocery store. I think that's the other big gauge. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It seems like we need some fiscal policy. Bad. We, we, we can't rely on monetary policy. Well, and we shouldn't. And one day there's going to be a reckoning. And I hope it's not in my lifetime. But, you know, there's a... Uh, you ever heard of a guy named uh, Herb Stein? I have not. He was... He's remember the comedian Ben Stein? I do, yeah. That was his dad. Okay. Who was... Okay. Uh, uh, Serving on Council of Economic Advisors with Nixon taught at UVA. Okay. And he has a line, if something cannot go on, eventually it stops. <laughs> and just pondering, all the fundamentals are against it. Our political system is almost incapable of dealing with it, not just the personalities because of all the incentives baked in. But one day there's going to be a reckoning just yeah. because that's how these things work. Yeah, I, I agree with you as well, but there doesn't seem to be any appetite in Washington yeah. to address the, the deficit or the debt. Uh, for the most part, Democrats want to increase taxes as a way to to address that, and Republicans want to decrease spending, yeah. and so we're just at an impasse, and nothing happens consequently. And in the last guy I thought was, had a serious plan, he was one of my favorites, and maybe it's a sad commentary about our political system. He got ran out, tarred and feathers, Paul Ryan. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had a reasonable plan. He I thought it was workable. It was tough. I mean, tough in the sense to implement. Yep. But it was what you needed to go do. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking this morning about Social Security and Medicare, which yeah. I still believe is the elephant in the room that nobody wants to touch. Yeah. But speaking of day of reckoning, yeah. it's a, it's going to happen in your lifetime, I'm afraid, Jim. So, yeah, and then um, one of the things that should give all our listeners pause, the 
the numbers have changed, but this is the one I remember. The average Social Security, no, Medicare beneficiary going to get 300 plus. That's right. Paid in 100. That's right. That can't work. That's right. And I've been (laughs) preaching that exact same point for for years, and the costs continue to increase. And I've always maintained that's because we keep inventing more care, which is a good thing. Yeah. And everybody wants it, which is understandable. And we we live longer lives, but it costs money. And you hadn't paid for that. Yeah, we'll let Alex pay for you and I. We're not going to pay, right? And she's going, what the heck are these guys talking about? Let's shut them down. But that that's the practical reality of yeah. all this. That And if you even talk about it, you get your political head cut off. Remember Mor- Moynihan, the third rail politics? I, I do. That's, that's exactly died. what it is. But it's upon us. Yeah, and then and we got to solve it on our terms or somebody will do it for us. Absolutely. Jim, good talking to you, okay. sir. Appreciate you coming on and, and glad to finally meet you. And then look forward to doing this again. Yes, sir. Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State University, has been our guest here on Middays. We're at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Don't forget, you can donate at sallykatewinters.org. I see the lunch over there provided today by Sweet Peppers Deli in Columbus and the tea by Milo's. We're coming right back with more. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. We are at Sally Kate Winters Family Services in West Point, Mississippi, the Element Well Studios, relocated here today. And uh, it's an all-day remote. We had uh, the Gallo Show this morning and then uh, Middays, and Super Talk Mississippi team will be on hand as well. And Rebecca, she here today as well, right? Oh, yeah. So we got good things with Rebecca is going to be on. So we are here for the day. Uh, it's it's a little windy, but overall it's a nice day. It's comfortable out here. I was concerned about the weather, but it appears to be holding off and sparing us, allowing us to produce the show outside here in the parking lot right in front of the Sally Kate Winters home. And we appreciate everyone joining us. We just uh, learned, apparently, Rhino, that today is Thomas from Greenwood's birthday. Is that right? According to the ceasefire text line. Yeah, that's what it says. Is that right, Thomas? Let us know. Is it your birthday? Let us know about that. So, um... We were we've been talking about this pack that is exposing, I guess if you could call it that, Ron DeSantis votes while he was in the Congress on Social Security and Medicare and, and Donald Trump is leveraging leveraging that, considering that is uh oppo research and a liability for his potential challenger in the presidential primary. Uh, I see it differently. I, I see Ron DeSantis trying to preserve and salvage the program, as I do all those who speak up and make proposals about reforms to those 
legacy programs because without reforms, they're going to crash. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It's just a mathematical impossibility. And so I I know a lot of people, uh, probably, Rhino, would you agree, the most frequent comment you get, the most frequent refrain we see with respect to government spending is always, we need to quit sending money to foreign countries that aren't friendly to us. We need to eliminate foreign aid. Would you agree that's probably what you see more than anything, Rhino? Yeah, it seems like that's the uh, lowest hanging fruit. Uh, And that's a good way to describe it. So you remember, you and I looked it up. Now, excluding Ukraine, which is a short-term anomaly, on average, our foreign aid runs about $40 billion a year. We, we, you and I looked it up, as you recall. Is that the number you remember? Yeah, it fluctuates, but that's about the average. About the average, $40 billion. Now, I'm not saying that's nothing, but in a $6 trillion budget, that's nothing. That's a rounding error. I, I'm all for, for stop the sending of money, stopping the sending of money, especially to nations who want to blow us up. I think that's crazy. I'm all for that. I'm simply saying that's not going to even come remotely close to taking the action we need to take to balance the budget, to eliminate trillion-and-a-half-dollar deficits and start shrinking our debt. That's really all I'm saying, is that it's we got to speak and, and we got to have this conversation in terms of trillions, literally. And so when you look at where federal spending exists, again, uh, you add up Social Security, combined Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, other statutory um, assistance programs, and debt interest, it's 70% of spending. 15% or so is defense, 15% or so is so-called non-defense domestic spending, which is appropriated on an annual basis. So the question is, we got that on the ceasefire tax line, where would you cut? I'm simply saying that until we are willing to face the music and and start to reform Social Security, Medicare in particular, we're, we're really not going to come close to reining in our deficit and, and um, retiring our debt. We've got to address those big programs and the trillions that go out of those big programs and there's just little or no interest as Jim Leggett just said it's the third rail of politics because it's it's uh, a political liability we've got Donald Trump saying nope can't touch it so what's his plan what's his plan then to balance the budget well he doesn't have one I've seen I've not seen one produced I've not seen anybody produce one and even if you look at Republicans in the house today uh, talk about uh, what they intend to negotiate with the, the president uh, as part of this debt ceiling debacle. What they mainly talk about are future spending. It's let's don't do the student loan deal. Uh, let's rein in the COVID money, as an example, a lot of the COVID unspent money. Uh, some of the Inflation Reduction Act credits and so forth, spending that's included in that. But nothing about, okay, well, that just sort of avoids going deeper into the hole. How do we get out of the present hole? I mean, you could say, well, that sort of stops the digging a little bit. 
but it doesn't fill the hole up. doesn't even come close. So they've offered nothing, nothing. So they've come out and said, nope, not going to touch Social Security and Medicare. Can't do away with debt interest. We're obligated to pay that. No, we can't cut defense. In fact, they they increase defense, and then many still Republicans in both houses want to increase defense spending. The Democrats, on the other hand, which control the Senate and the White House, say, well, we can't cut non-defense spending. In fact, they want to increase that. So that's the impasse we're at. And then and you add all that up, and you end up with a budget that produces a $1.5 trillion deficit. That's where we are. So someone asked, um, you're saying you would cut Social Security and, and Medicare. And no, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Um, I'm just saying, or defense spending. You're saying you would cut Social Security, Medicare, or defense spending. That's on the ceasefire tax line. I'm I'm just laying out how our money is spent, and and just trying to share the math on that. Uh, and basically, if you looked at it from a mathematical perspective, it, with a 1.5 trillion dollar deficit and 1.7 trillion being spent on defense and non-defense spending, everything but Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the other programs and interest. We're spending $1.7 trillion on that. You could cut every bit of that, just eliminate the entire federal government except for uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest, and we would produce a surplus of about $200 billion. You'd have to cut... You'd have to cut it by 90%, 90%, 90 cents of every dollar to balance the budget. That's just the math. It's it's mind-boggling to think about, and you'll never hear anybody in the Congress talk about it because they know that it's almost an insurmountable task and that anything that, that they would suggest as a way to address this issue is just not popular with anybody, not popular. And so they just stay away from it. Why? So they can get reelected. Just keep on kicking the can down the road. Step one should be for Congress to do their one job and actually pass a budget. I would be all over that, but there's no agreement. I, I just explained to you. That's the problem. They cannot agree, and they certainly can't agree on one that would balance the budget because it would mean cutting the military by 85 to 90 percent, cutting non-military domestic spending by 85 90 percent to balance the budget. That is, if you don't touch Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, the other programs and interest, which nobody wants to do. So that's the conundrum, and I, and I hate to see this this uh, possible election involving Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, if Ron jumps in the race on the Republican side, I, I hate for it to start to focus on DeSantis wanting to reform Social Security and Medicare as Donald Trump's way of, of uh, I guess, one-upping on that perspective. So it's a problem. So Thomas and Greenwood says, would cutting what Medicare covers be a solution? It would it would actually um, rein in the uh, the deficit uh, that is being produced by the Medicare trust fund, the program. But no, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a solution. But you'd be telling people they'd have to do without health care and they'd die. 
that's just the bottom line. We keep inventing more, and we keep, and it costs money, as we've said before. So it's just the opposite of what's going to happen. Um, he says, voting Republican doesn't cure the issue, Gerard. Mississippi is a prime example. I put our Republican up against Biden in at least fiscally responsible competition. <laughs> I hear you. A lot of nothing adds up to something. It does, but I just gave you the numbers there. You need to cut. Are you for cutting defense by 85%? You could cut the entire Department of Defense, folks, and still produce a 500 $600 billion deficit. No defense, no military still have a deficit. That's just how upside down everything is. We're stepping aside for a break. We're at the Sally Kate Winters Family Services in West Point, Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Casey was an eight-year-old male who suffered sexual abuse at the hands of his father. Casey was brave and reported his trauma to a family member who made a report and an investigation was initiated. During this time with Sally Kate Winters Children's Advocacy Center, he received an array of services such as a forensic interview, a mental health assessment with a referral for trauma-focused therapy, continuous follow-up calls, and multidisciplinary team case tracking. The law enforcement officer, with the collaboration of other MDT members working on his case, was able to build a significant and strong case against his father to be presented to the grand jury. The forensic interview at the CAC helped with the corroboration and details of his horrific abuse. Because of the work of many involved in this case, Casey's father was found guilty and sentenced to 25-plus years. Casey is now receiving mental health services and continues healing from the trauma he endured. That's just one of the many Sally Kate Winters Family Services Youth Stories. It's 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 sad. It's it's remarkable and and in, to me unbelievable. I can't. I just I can't fathom it. Uh, some of the abuse that in uh, some of the cases we hear about that uh, good people here at Sally Kate Winters Family Services deal with. And so I hope on that note you'll consider digging into your pocket and donating to this great organization. You can do that at sallykatewinters.org. Sally Kate Winters, of course, all one word. Take little steps on unnecessary spending or wasteful spending. Got to start somewhere. I, I completely agree. The fundamental problem with that is there is no consensus. One person's wasteful spending in our government is another person's uh, prize program. That's just the truth. That there's no, there's no, there's about as much consensus on what constitutes 
wasteful spending as there is the number of genders. That's just the truth. And we can't get past that. Um, You'll be hard-pressed to find anybody in our Congress on the Republican side that says we need to cut defense spending. You won't find anybody on the Democrat side that says we need to cut any of this non-defense spending. And then there's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid that nobody will touch. Debt interest is is an obligation that we cannot ignore and um, and fail to fulfill. That's that's the fundamental problem. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood is uh, aligned with Robert Reich in end of life care. He just thinks that that uh, we just ought to discontinue care for those who are terminally ill. He says, if I were elderly and I came down with cancer and fighting would drain my accounts and eliminate my kids' inheritance, I'd decline treatment. Well, you wouldn't have that, of course, Thomas, if you were on private insurance because I don't believe there's a plan available anymore since the Affordable Care Act would pass. It has, a, has an annual or a lifetime limit on benefits, on claims. That is, that is one of the key provisions of the law says we're just about to a point where we're going to have to ask the elderly to be a bit less selfish and consider where they are in their lifespan. Okay, so who's going to play God and make that determination? He says that maybe is something for uh, their the parents. Well, no, that was in, in response uh, to a question I asked about premature babies. It's on the other end of the age spectrum. There are often babies who are born premature that physicians know or have a very low probability of surviving and certainly can't survive and, and uh, not have some sort of physical or mental limitations. What should we do about that? Uh, I was reading the other day that I think Canada, Rhino, is close to following, is it Switzerland or Sweden that allows assisted suicide if uh, you get to a certain point in life and uh, I guess you're terminally ill in the short term, you can, easy, you can actually elect uh, death just to be, be um, put to death essentially in some humane way. It's a tough one. So Tom says, is it logical for the government to pay for cancer treatments for someone over 70, 75? Well, I guess it just depends on whether or not you think they are they just need to die at that point, Thomas. So here's what's going to happen. Uh, we're approaching a point where with all this, all these advances in healthcare technology, I think within the next 10 years we'll see most forms of cancer totally cured. We've made unbelievable strides there already. Um, such that so much cancer uh, can can be cured and patients can survive and live longer and pro, and have their lives prolonged. Who's going to play God there? Who wants to deal with that? I've seen futurists predict that eventually we'll pick our death date. It's all crazy, and it's it's something that needs to be considered uh, big time. Go to the grocery store on the first of the month and watch the thousands of able-bodied people buying groceries with waste money. There's certainly some reforms that need to be implemented in the SNAP program, um, but whether or not you're able-bodied is not 
uh, requirement uh, or to receive, or if you're not able-bodied to receive SNAP benefits, there have been lots of discussions about work requirements, at least seeking work with 10 million jobs available in this country. Can't get that through the can't get that through the Congress either. Cut everyone's Social Security check to $1,500 and let that cover those that really need it. Cut Medicare fraud. Take a deep dive into Medicaid. Sounds crazy. All for that. Uh, not for the cutting Social Security check to $1,500. Not for that at all. That is That would be wildly unpopular if um, you started cutting Social Security benefits for people that are that are uh, currently receiving them, and certainly people that are paying into the program now that expect those benefits to be there and expect to receive what they are entitled to receive. I, I don't see that as a, a solution. Sure, we could cut Medicare fraud. Um, that, that would save a little bit of money, but it would also cost a whole bunch of money to root out, to identify. Same into Medicaid. I'm all for that as well. I've talked about that extensively. That uh, th- These programs are so big, so extensive. And if you start, I can tell you this, there are a lot of fraud that is, that is actually committed by the providers themselves because they can't get an, enough reimbursement to make ends meet when they're providing those services. And so if um, if you start uh, to a great extent, I believe the federal government looks the other lo- way and allows it to happen, sort of wink, wink, just because they know if they started really coming down on that, a lot of these providers would exit the program, and that would put us really back in, in a pickle. Anything you, you do... Uh, to get the country back on track financially is going to be unpopular. Yeah, I agree, and you can't get elected. It's part of the problem. And Ben from Madison says, in Futurama, the robots come get you when you turn 170. Maybe that's what Robert Reich. Did you mean 70 or 170? That's uh, 170. Maybe. Okay, maybe that's what Robert Reich Then you really get to be wants. a head in a jar. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, but I don't know that that... Is is necessarily science fiction, as it was when uh, when that was created. Uh, I mean, there's more talk about that. You know, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos have billions invested in a uh, new company that seeks to achieve immortality. It's uh, it's really crazy, but it's um it's something we got to think about. Let's see what else we got on uh, the ceasefire text line. Oh, yeah, Paula Meridian says, what are the numbers of people in the country that basically contribute nothing to the tax base? And in the year 2022, uh, actually it's 2022 is what's being filed now. So it's 2021, filing year 22 for income in, uh, in 21, 61% of households in this country paid zero income taxes. Many actually got uh, a net income from the IRS uh, in terms of uh, once you applied all the credits and all the uh, ARPA money and all the helicopter money, they ended up netting received received money from the federal government as opposed to paying anything in. And Paul says, well, that's a problem. Yeah, but the Democrats say that uh, that the Forty, uh, excuse me, thirty-nine percent, nearly forty percent of people in this country that are paying income taxes into the system, that a good number of them don't pay their fair share. So, 
I'm not sure how it's fair that the country essentially is is financially powered by less than half of taxpayers, and of that, top one percent pay forty two percent of the total tax taxes uh, received by the federal government of total revenue. So we are at Sally Kate Winters Family Services today in West Point, Mississippi. When we come back, we've got Cynthia Matthews, Sally Kate Winters Family Services Shelter Case Manager. Stay with us. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Day, Super Talk Mississippi. We are live at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Joining us now, it's Cynthia Matthews, Sally Kate Winters Family Services, a shelter case manager. Cynthia, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, tell us exactly what you do as the shelter case manager at Sally Kate Winters. Well, my duties consist of ensuring that all the residents receive all their medical attention for us at dental, vision, psychological, enroll, assisting with enrolling them in school, and making sure, of course, that they have some fun. I got you. So um, how many folks are you taking care of now? We currently have five. Five, Okay. And uh, are their situations somewhat similar, or did, did they have different sets of circumstances that landed them at Sally Kate Winters? Well, all of them are different, but then at the same time, they are similar situation as well. And it's always something that's not um, going well in the home with CPS for going and do an investigation and being that substantiated or unsubstantiated. And not all the time that they're placed here with us at Sally Kate, but no, we are here to serve them but the ones who do need that what sort of services do you provide uh, i mean you, you kind of went down the list but can you give us some specifics on that yes um we provide counseling service we provide education service. we have tutors that come in to assist the children um in the afternoon with the school work and then we have where they go to get the dental their vision all their medical service uh, they receive all that, and then volunteers come in and assist as well. Are there some cases that uh, that uh, come to Sally Kate Winters that maybe are in rather desperate or urgent need of, of medical care, medical treatment, where where they've not really had such, and and it's uh, it's a problem for them? Yes, uh, a lot of the kids that we do serve, they do come in and have not really had like the full medical exam. The only time they would have gone to the doctor if they were like really ill. But like just far as the medical exam and the same as with the dental. They come in and some have never been to the dentist before, never had their eyes examined. So this is like a first for them when they do when they come in. Gotcha. 
Are you are you working with some particular providers, uh, medical providers in the local area? Yes, uh, we work well with the Children's Clinic here in West Point, uh, Dr. Cheatham uh, Eye Care Center. We work with him, and also the local pharmacy, which is Point City Drugs. Yeah, they are the one that um, fill out children's prescriptions for us. I got you, and then you make sure that they. Uh uh, they comply with uh, whatever's been prescribed. They take their medicine like they're supposed to. Yes, there's a there's a log that our direct care staff that they have that we fill out the log for as what they've taken, how they are to be administered the medication, and the staff um, documents that after they give them that medication. I see. Yes. Uh, and hopefully they get better as a result of that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hopefully they get better. You know, sometimes it's the psychotropic medication that they have to be on for extended period of time, and then there's that acute medication, like for the common cold, maybe antibiotics or something, or cough medicine. So it may be seven to ten days, just depending on what the situation is. And do you see uh, like immediate improvements in in health situations where they where they come and maybe they're in need of medical treatment? Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, just them having that. Um, medical care to help get them back to being where they need to be health wise i got to believe that you know when it, when a child is uh, or an adolescent is struggling and challenged with some sort of health problems like that it's, it's pretty hard to function and learn it is for adults as well but i, I got to believe that that means that uh, all of a sudden their performance from maybe their student school or something starts to improve as a result yeah, that's true. Sometimes they don't want to get up and go to school. For one thing, you know, th- that's a challenge within itself. You know, if they're not feeling well, yeah. you know, um, medically, you know, just not wanting to get up. And then once they get there, you know, not being actively actively participating, you know, just being just being present, not yeah. being being effective while they're there. Yeah. Well, uh, so it, it's it's great service that you're providing there, and uh, you, you mentioned the specific medical providers, so. You're used to working with them. They kind of expect it whenever you take someone in. Would would you take, say, a child or an adolescent? Is that maybe one of the first things you do is bring them to the doctor, let them get an examination just to make sure that everything's good to go from a health perspective? Or or do you only do that when they're presenting some sort of symptoms? No, that's one of the first things we have to have done okay. within the first seven days okay. to make sure that they have um, the medical exam. Yeah. Because of the background that they come from and compared to in the past when we first open the children were being placed in the local jail yeah like they were criminal so of course they needed some medical care as well just being in that environment and it's the same with the children that's coming from their home environment you know yeah. they need some medical care to make sure absolutely that um they are being healthy makes total sense cynthia appreciate you coming on thanks for all you do for the kids and those in need thanks for having me cynthia matthews sally kate winters family services shelter case manager we're at the top of the hour that means fox news super talk news is up next and on the other side it's senator angela turner ford stay with us That keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays. We are live at Sally Kate Winters Family Service, and that is in West Point, Mississippi. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios here in the parking lot right in front of Sally Kate Winters Family Services home is Senator Angela Turner Ford. She represents Clay, Lowndes, Noxubee, and Octibaha counties that uh, comprises District 16. Senator, good to see you, and thanks for coming by today. Thank you, and good to see you as well. I really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. So, uh, you guys finally got it done about 2 o'clock in the morning there, Saturday morning. <laughs> finally. It was a, a grueling day, to say the least. It was. Uh, Signy die, and uh, a lot happened in the last couple of weeks, did it not? It did. It did. I mean, bills were, conference reports were just coming in from um, various committees, and uh, there was a lot to, to, to watch and um, follow. Your overall impression of the session, Senator? Well... Some things I'm glad did not cross the finish line. Okay. Um, you know, others, happy to see that we've gotten more funding for education and hospitals that we know that needed assistance. So I, I think overall um, it was, I'm glad it's over, and I'm glad <laughs> that some communities got some, some support that they needed. So, and, and one of the last things uh, you guys did was appropriate some money uh, for the counties that uh, were ravaged by the, the horrific tornadoes that ripped through the state uh, a week and a half or so ago. And uh, I think that was a good move. But it's going to take a long time to rebuild those areas. And, and this is really um, something that was necessary and, and kind of primes the pump. But I think you would agree, Senator, that we're all going to have to pitch in and help for a long time. I agree. I mean, it was it was a start. Um, hopefully, you know, MEMA, Disaster Relief, you know, can kind of see where they can offer necessary support. But as you mentioned, with homes being destroyed, businesses, it's going to be a long road to recovery. Particularly Rolling Fork and um, Silver City. It's uh Devastating. I haven't been there personally and, and observed with my own eyes, but I've certainly seen lots of video, lots of photos. It's uh, it's mind-boggling. It is. It is. And I would just have to point out uh, Monroe County suffered damage yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Amory, yep. Yeah, we saw some reports about um, the number of homes that were destroyed in all of those areas, and it's devastating. Yeah. We need a break here in Mississippi, don't we? We need we need a rest. We do. We do. We, <laughs> tremendously. From all the weather. So... Any particular bills that you were glad got across the finish line? We'll start with that first. Well, um, you talked about education I funding, did. yeah, I 120 did. million, I think, additional, right? Exactly. Um, I think there was a, you know, early there was a Senate proposal which would um, have modified the formula, and yeah. then from there it would have been funded. But mm-hmm. I, I perceive that as an initial proposal. Okay. But I'm glad that um, as we finish the session, we know that there is an additional 120 million going into education. Okay. Were you? Uh, what are your thoughts about the Senate not confirming? the superintendent of education hired by the State Board of Education, Dr. Robert Taylor. I'm disappointed. I am. I'm just based on the credentials that I saw for Dr. Taylor. Um, I thought that he would have been a plus up for the state of Mississippi. I understand that there were some opposing views, but um, I'm disappointed to say the least. Okay. Well, there, there have been some who have suggested that uh, this was racially motivated. Did you feel like that was the case from the senators that voted against his confirmation? I, I'm troubled by the vote. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go as far to say what motivated it or what didn't. Mm-hmm. But um, I would just like to say that going forward, 
the rigor that has been applied to Dr. Taylor's requirements mm-hmm. and his um, accomplishments should be applied across the board for anyone else who is offered up for the position. Do you think that we that there's a problem in, in the structure, the process of our system? You've got the State Board of Education that that uh, conducts interviews and, and searches for a superintendent, hires a superintendent, superintendent reports to work in January, and then two and a half months later, after having moved here, doesn't get confirmed by the Senate. Should we maybe change that up so that there is a confirmation in place before they actually step into the role and start work? It just um, seems strange to me. What I would say is if we're going to have a process in place, it should be honored. Okay. And um, if we're not going to change it, we haven't up to this point, let's honor what we have put in place, those individuals that have, you know, he's moved his family here. Yeah, right. And um, it, it hasn't really, a lot hadn't been said about it, but his wife is actually a native person from West Point. Yeah. And... Um, I I just hate the position um, that he and his family have been put in by having moved here, gone through this interview process. Um, other potential candidates had been eliminated, and um, he was the last one to be offered, and now he has not been accepted. Yeah. It just, just seems like we ought to figure out a way to, to get that done and, and have it all sealed up before someone steps into the job and, and again, goes through the process of moving uh, resigning from their other job, um, so I'm, I'm being more critical of the process than I am the, the commenting on the confirmation. And, and I understand that, um, but it hasn't been changed. Yeah, I know, and it's it's a legacy way. And, and typically, it's I don't want to say it's a rubber stamp deal, but usually it's more academic in terms of the Senate c- uh, confirming uh, nominees uh, for various appointments. Uh, it's it it's usually goes through. Uh, without, um, you know, any pushback on that. That didn't happen in this case. And many of the other um, nominees for other boards and commissions were all confirmed. Yeah. Um, Well, I think there was one. One for Department of Education? Exactly. Um, There was one that was not confirmed, but it is extremely rare that that occurs. It is. Um, All right, so what legislation would you, did you support uh, or ideas, proposals that didn't get enacted. What what would you like to see happen that didn't happen? Well, um, and I guess what I would be referring more to. Well, let let me start by saying the ballot initiative. Okay. Um, I introduced a bill early on, and there were several others who introduced proposals to to get the ballot initi- ballot initiative back online mm-hmm. um, that were not brought out of committee. But the particular one that was um, that was heard that came out of the Senate committee died, basically. Right. I, I think it may have died in conference or it may have died on the calendar. Yep. I can't remember what the process was. But um, we do need a measure in place that allows the citizens to advance um, laws that they believe are important. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I can uh, say that just certainly anecdotally from uh, talking to lots of Mississippians, I think they're all disappointed as well. I haven't met a citizen yet that said, no, we don't need a ballot initiative process. The only place I've heard that's in the Capitol, honestly. Uh, but, of course, I think the, the big uh, 
the big delta there in the views and the positions of what that ought to look like between the House and the Senate was, was the number of signatures. That, that was the big sticking point there. We couldn't get across. Where do you stand on that? Do you, are you more in line with the House's version, with the existing, uh, existing as in what's embedded in our Constitution that's been now invalidated by the Supreme Court? Or were you more uh, in support of the higher number that the Senate wanted? I did not support the higher number, although I did vote for the, the measure. It was apparent um, as the, the vote was being taken on the floor that it might not pass at okay. all, which would have meant that it would have died there. Yeah. And so I did support it, but I think it actually called for 12% of um, qualified electors or right. registered voters in the state, which is a high number. 240,000, according to my calculations, right. yeah. Considering what we've had in the past. Right, 108,000. Right, so I, I think it was basically going to create a burden or a hurdle that we might not have been able to meet Yeah. Um, if the signatures had been acquired. Well, it would affect the number of signatures to be required. So I, I did not necessarily agree with it, but I, I think um, the proposal that was already installed or instituted in the Constitution to require a simple fix, yeah. which was just to modify the number of congressional districts just based on the, the previous census. Well, uh, this will be something I'm sure that will be taken up once again you know, by the, uh, uh, the new House and Senate and state leaders, the governor. Uh, is uh, because we got election year. You running for re-election? I am. Okay, unopposed. Thankfully. Oh, well, congratulations! <laughs> and thankful to, to the citizens yeah. for allowing me to serve again. Yeah, that's that's awesome. We only got uh, a little bit left, but uh, health care is a big problem in the state of Mississippi. And uh, in, in about a minute or less, what do you think? Um, I'm glad that the extension of Medicaid for women postpartum was um, allowed. Mm-hmm increase to 12 months. Uh, I think that's just a small blip, but certainly I would love to see the full expansion of Medicaid. I'm glad that we were able to offer some support to those struggling hospitals, and I'm just hoping to do more next year. Yeah, so we had a grant program that got passed, but it really seems more like a Band-Aid when you take a, a, a closer look at the financial performance and, and some of the struggles these hospitals are having. Exactly. Um, $100 million, I just don't think is nearly enough. Yeah. But it, it, at this point, I believe every little bit helps. Yeah, absolutely. Senator, uh, thank you for your service, and thanks so much for joining us here at Sally Kate Winters uh, Family Services in West Point. Thank you. Thank you. Always pleased to be here. You've got it. We're coming right back with more here on uh, Middays. Once again, from Sally Kate Winters Family Services, go to sallykatewinters.org to make a donation to help out. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi.
back in the Element Well Studios. It's Sally Kate Winters, Family Services. I sure am glad we got these sandbags on the feet of these tents up here, Rhino. Otherwise, they would be scattered about West Point because the wind, as you can probably hear, folks, is blowing pretty good up here right in front of the Sally Kate Winters Family Services home. Moe's on the ceasefire text line says, I'll be your fist, Gerard. I don't think we need a ballot initiative. You know, Moe's, uh, I'm, I'm not far off from you on that. I, I wonder about it as, as well. I, I guess I'm kind of the view that shouldn't we be able to elect people that, uh, that take care of our needs and uh, align with our, our um, our vision, our philosophy, our positions, seat them in to the position of, of um, lawmaking leadership and get stuff done that we want. And I, I guess we can because it, there continues to be a significant momentum and, and opinion uh, out in the state by... Uh, voters that we should have a ballot initiative process. Now, I personally believe if we did get one, that what we'd see immediately is a move to get a measure on the ballot to legalize some limited form of abortion, uh, recreational marijuana, and Medicaid expansion for starters. I think Thomas's favorite, a recall process, would also likely get some traction. Uh, and I think all of those measures would pass, honestly. And I think that's a concern to the legislature. I, I've seen some actually state it. Oh, Mo says, uh, I'll be your first. Okay. Yeah, because I said earlier, not fist. It was a misspelling. Uh, I said, did say earlier that I hadn't found anybody, just anecdotally, that said they oppose a ballot initiative, just a, a normal citizen out there. I've only seen pushback on it from members of the legislature. So Mose says, okay, I'll be your first. Appreciate that, Mose. So you're one. You're one versus an untold number that all want one. Um. Uh, so I, I don't know that we'll ever get one at this point. I just don't think there's any appetite for it. I really don't. And and so I know that it's it's been popular since uh, the failure over the last couple of weeks to get a a uh, a measure through the legislature. It would actually be a resolution through the res- legislature where the voters would go to the polls to amend the Constitution um, to get a ballot initiative process enacted. It would actually have to, again, change existing constitutional uh, provisions. That ain't going to happen this year. It's got to be on a statewide ballot. The next opportunity would be, of course, 2024 when we go to the polls for federal elections of president, of course, at the top of the ticket members of Congress, and in Mississippi, one U.S. senator is up for re-election. Will we get a measure out of the legislature next year, a resolution, to do it? I don't think so. I really don't. I I just think the gap's too big there between those who uh, would support some form of a measure, the, the gap between at least what passed in the House, what could get through the Senate is significant enough 
such that we won't get anything. I have seen that many uh, who are not supporters of the lieutenant governor have have placed blame at his feet for the Senate not getting a resolution through. I disagree with that. Uh, while I do agree that he favored the higher uh, signature threshold, the, the fact is there are a number of other senators that support that higher threshold as well and also would not support the House version of a lower threshold. So I don't think that that could be totally attributed to the lieutenant governor in this particular case. Seems to me it works against the party in power. I am against it, said Bubba and Starkville. I'm not really sure that I'm following you there, but I, I hear you, uh, Bubba, but I'm not sure that I'm following you. He also asked, please ask if she supports CRT since she supported this guy. I could have asked the senator that, uh, Bubba, but honestly, it, it takes you down a rabbit hole of exactly what is CRT. And that's something Rhino and I have talked about a lot. Uh, gosh, we've shared a, uh, a wide range of, of definitions. There's some overlap in those definitions, and it depends on who's writing the definition. Um, I, I think it's more about what gets gets taught in our schools. And if, if we sort of use the, the term, the acronym CRT, to define certain content, and that, that content I find objectionable for sure and and that would be when we teach that to students that one group is is uh, oppressors are oppressors and another group are victims and and that there's some sort of of uh, um, race identity and inherited guilt i think all those are problems uh i i really like what virginia did when governor glenn Youngkin was was um, elected and one of the first things he did, I, I believe, in, in an executive order was to the public schools in Virginia that basically said that no person uh, in the schools, no student, could uh, be held responsible for any any past indiscretions, such as slavery, simply because of their race. That one in our state we have a law that passed last year that says that students could be taught that one race is superior or inferior to another. Pretty much left it at that. The problem with many forms of CRT when it, it manifests in the content is that it does teach just the opposite. It teaches this concept of white supremacy and white privilege and all of these more traditional values, concepts that are associated in some of this school content with uh, European white culture, and and uh, they really shouldn't be associated with any culture. In, in my view, some of these just basic tenets of, of uh, living a productive life, such as getting the right answers <laughs> and um, and not considering subject matter such as math racist and delayed gratification and hard work and rugged individualism and can-do attitudes and all uh, those sorts of principles that really are what made this country exceptional and made it great. That, that shouldn't have any racial connotations whatsoever. 
Uh, let's see here. Somebody on the ceasefire text line, Johnny in West Point, says, Angela was my neighbor at one time. Appreciate you letting us know about that. Uh, Larry and Mai says, how can any member of the state legislature call themselves conservative with a budget they passed? So I asked him, what should the budget look like? What should be cut? He said, cut education, install school choice. Well, the two are mutually exclusive there, Larry. Cut education. So would you do you believe we should uh, rescind the teacher pay increase from last year? That's 200 million dollars Significant. Um, almost 10% increase in education spending. Do you think we should cut that? Do you think we should not have passed the additional $120 million that went to education? What would you like to see cut specifically? And, again, it's the same question I've asked everybody who supports cutting education. And I'm not opposed to it. I'm just looking for specifics. What should we do? It's easy to say let's just cut it, but when you start really looking underneath the cupboards and trying to drill down into how the dollars are spent, what do you want to cut exactly? You want to cut teacher pay? That's a lion share of uh, of education i know thomas always wants to cut administration wants to consolidate and i ask okay what school districts do you want to consolidate how many should we have what should that look like are you quite certain that that would cut expenses do you think you could just increase the workload of all of the staff at the administrative level without increasing pay would that have a negative impact on outcomes education outcomes there's just lots of questions and lots of analysis that has to be done other than just saying let's just cut i'm for that too i'm for being i'm for being frugal in our spending i will also say that if you look at the tax reform we just enacted we're taking a lot of people off the tax rolls uh talking about the state tax reform that went into place last year a lot of people off the tax rolls, so now we've shifted more of the burden onto the higher incomes in our state. If you're married, make $36,000 a year combined incomes, you don't have a tax liability. Well, heck, our our um, our average uh, household income, 43000 bucks. So coming right back with more here on Middays, we're at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Stay with us. Mississippi. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. We're at Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Juan is a 19-year-old male who entered the transitional living program in April of 2022. Juan was found walking along the side of Highway 45 when a resident from West Point stopped and helped connect him with the transitional living program. The TLP staff was able to get him assessed quickly and on the right medication for his schizophrenia diagnosis. Since entering the program, Juan gained job skills, saved money, 
and learned independent living skills such as cooking for himself and spending his money wisely, among other skills. Juan is now living in a new area, closer to family, living in his own apartment and interviewing to gain meaningful employment. Good story there. So um, this whole idea, folks, in the state of Mississippi about uh, education funding, spending, and and school consolidation is a is a is a deeply complex topic, and uh, I haven't seen any I guess just definitive just jumps right at you solutions to these problems. Uh, I'm all for uh, rooting out any sort of waste uh, in all aspects of spending, not just education. That just happens to that just happens to uh, consume 50, 52 percent or so of total spending in the state of Mississippi. I'm all for that, but I'm also interested in producing the best outcomes. So you have to balance the quantitative issues with the qualitative issues. I mean, we certainly could, for example, cut teacher pay, but and we could save a bunch of money and do that, but. What would that do to our education outcomes? Would that mean we'd attract more qualified, better skilled, more effective teachers in our classrooms? Or does it mean the opposite? I mean, and what would that mean to, again, the, uh, the qualitative outcomes of, in education? So Mo says Houston, Texas has over 190,000 students in one district. Why can't we? Um, I said, well, how do you know that would save money? Dangerous to assume that. And then that's a serious question. I, I mean, I haven't looked at the Houston, Texas's operational model, haven't reviewed their financial statements. I'm, obviously, it's possible. But what, is their, what does their expense model look like? Is it, um, is it on average, lower than a smaller district? I would also... Um, pass this along as well in business from a business perspective there's just a lot of fixed costs that a business needs to operate it doesn't matter what the business is this applies across a wide range of businesses no matter what the revenue is no matter what the the number of of uh, customers that are being served no matter the number of transactions uh, just the volume of business in general. There's just a fixed component, whether it's zero or a hundred, and that's the issue here. So there's no doubt that their economies of scale to be achieved potentially. The other thing I would point out is that if you believe and agree that government is more effective when it um, when it's implemented uh, and and overseen. Uh, at a more local level. Well, then what happens is when you start consolidating is that you lose that control. You think about school boards and their jurisdiction and their oversight of a district. When you start consolidating districts, you start looking at, at counties. I know someone said we ought to have one per county. I think most said that as well. Okay, well, you start looking at how some counties are, are divided in their philosophy, talking about taxpayers, parents, etc., on what a school ought to look like and what a school's operating model, curriculum, etc., should look like. So when you consolidate, well, which of those persuasions and characters does it take? 
But, I mean, I mean, there could be serious differences in the way um, that, that, that the, the uh, residents believe those schools ought to operate, be governed, what the curriculum should look like, the content, et cetera. That's that's the issue. So you 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 kind of lose your voice there. You you become instead of being one of uh, just for for uh, purposes of an example, one of a few thousand. You become become one of several hundred thousand. Um, so then, uh, what wins out there when when it comes to governance of uh, a particular district? I'm just pointing out that it's a lot more complicated than just saying, "Okay, draw a circle around this one, this one, this one, and put them together." Done deal. Uh, uh, so, and then what what expenses, what spending are you truly eliminating? Potentially duplicative. And I agree, there's definitely opportunity for consolidation. The first thing I would do. Honestly, as I said this the other day on the show, I'd take the high-performing districts and I'd take the low-performing districts, and I'd, I'd lay them out side by side, and I'd contrast every single uh, aspect of those two operating models. I mean, I, I would do a deep-dive inspection into every molecule of those two. Why is this one performing so well? Why is this one performing so poorly? I would. I haven't looked at the grades of the districts across the state of Mississippi recently, but I wonder if there are any poor performing districts that have similar demographics, similar uh, socioeconomic conditions as high performing districts. Because I think a lot of the reason for low performance is, in fact, that is is uh, typically in districts where you've got low socioeconomic. Uh, status residents, you typically have poor education outcomes. That's just fact. I'm not exactly sure what the the root cause reason is for that, but that kind of adds up. That's that's I think why a lot of the wealthier folks, folks that have uh, more disposable income, elect to send their kids to very expensive private schools. I I lived in a neighborhood in Madison where I'm not so sure there was another. Family on my street all had school-aged children that sent their kids, besides me, to private to private schools, or to, I should say, to public schools. We sent ours to public schools, and I think virtually everybody on, on our, in Madison public schools are eight. They're great. Almost everybody, if, if not everybody, I knew of nobody on my street. Sent them all to um, the private schools, Jackson Prep, um, JA, and St. Andrews. And of course, they had the income to support that. As well, it's um, it's it's a very tough question, and I'm not really sure what the answers are. But I would start with that analysis. Let's put these districts side by side. Those that are performing well, let's emulate it. Figure out what their secret sauce is. What are they What are they doing that's causing them to produce? greater educational outcomes why is that missing from those districts that aren't is that a solvable problem by government uh, is consolidation the answer to that or are we just saving money because we also have to be concerned about education outcomes and of course on top of that's the perennial problem of brain drain that we we keep improving education results in in mississippi the the numbers bear that out the, the governor frequently shares that he should it's something i think 
to boast about, the graduation rate, the reading level, third grade, and so forth. We're making great strides there in a couple of those categories, best in the nation. And we're preparing these children to go off to college, typically. That's usually what, for the most part, a, a um, high school, a K-12 education is geared for. They go to college, they get great they get uh, great educations at our fantastic universities only to leave the state. They don't stay here. So we're not really improving uh, the economy and the welfare of our state, the, the quality of life in our state, if our best and brightest leave. So we may be producing better outcomes in the K-12 through level, but that really doesn't do the state any good unless they stay here as adults and produce and contribute to our state. We're just subsidizing the other states to a great extent. Ben from Madison says, I thought Grant Callum's interview with the Jackson radio station the other day, I caught it. I thought it was a really good conversation when you open up opportunities via universal school choice. All the schools, including traditional public schools, will improve across the board. I believe he used Florida as an example and pointed to even how the better school districts have benefited from school choice. I totally agree. Of course, Ben, you're probably aware that I chair the board of Empower Mississippi. I, full disclosure, have since the inception of the organization in uh, 2014, and that was at the request of Grant when he broke off from uh, MCPP and started started Empower Mississippi. And uh, he asked me to serve as the chair. We have a fantastic board. I'm really proud of the work we've done. Of course, we're all about school choice. We're the organization that pushed through the charter school bill, the education uh, scholarship accounts for dyslexia and special needs and, for, and so forth. You're right. There is a movement in this country. We've talked about it. We talked about it with, with um, former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos when she was in town a couple of weeks ago. Now we're hearing that there's a big push in the great state of Texas to implement universal school choice. So we already got it in Arkansas, Iowa, Utah, Florida, um, and Arizona. So this is definitely a movement. We need to make that happen in Mississippi as well. I totally agree. I think it'd be great for education, Ben. We're stepping aside for a break right here. Jesse Sugg, Junior Auxiliary Volunteer and Sally Kate Winters Family Services Board member is next. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. You play that for Masters Week? <laughs> <laughs> We are back, the Element Well Studios up in West Point, Mississippi, at the Sally Kate Winters Family Services House. And also, don't forget, you can donate at sallykatewinters.org. That's all one word, sallykatewinters.org. Joining us now, Jesse Sugg, Junior Auxiliary Volunteer and Sally Kate Winters Family Services Board member. Jesse, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for your service uh, on the board here at Sally Kate Winters, uh, a wonderful organization, does good work. How long have you been on the board? About two years. What uh, What's that like? How, how many members are there on the board? There are about 19 members. Um, it's it's really great. It's very rewarding. We meet monthly and we're involved just any way we can be involved. It's great. Uh, 
question, I guess, regarding your your typical board meetings. Does the organization, uh, representatives, workers at Sally Kate Winters, do they share some of the successes that they're having that you guys can get a first-hand look at, at sure. the work they do as part of that process? Sure, yeah. Every month we get a detailed report of the children served and um, even the fun things like the activities that went on in the house, um, birthday parties and such. And so we get a full report of all of what's happening here and um, every now and then we'll have you know a client come in and share a success story with us so we are we are all in the know yeah that's that's awesome so that, that's got to serve as motivation uh, to continue your service on the board and make sure that you're getting uh, this organization all the resources and and that it needs to fulfill its mission yes um, so how often do you guys meet? We meet once a month. Once a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how is the organization doing financially? You rely totally, I believe, on private donations. Is that true? Yes, and, and um, grant funding as well. Okay. Yeah. So you got some grant funding. Yeah. But you always need more money. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what's the workload, caseload look like right now? I think last I heard there are five in the house. Is that right? I think that's what I heard. The caseload right now, I think I think we heard is five, right? Yes. It, it, yeah. So, is that uh, is that sort of a typical number, or, or is that something that's part of the reports that are provided to the board? Um, as far as I know, um, whenever the reports are provided to us, it could be changing within the month before we get the report. Um, I had more involvement with the children in the shelter whenever I was a part of Junior Auxiliary. And so that was kind of my hands-on with the kids um, at that point, which was very rewarding and kind of what led to my involvement in the board as well. Yeah. What what are some of the the board members, not asking you to provide any names there, but but, uh, some of the backgrounds of board members? Oh, sure. So we try to have um, board representation from each of the counties that Salicate serves. And any, it can range from um, attorneys to um, medical professionals, bankers, finance, insurance, a little bit of everything. So a good cross-section of, of skill sets and yes. experiences and all that kind of uh, melds together to, uh, to guide the organization. Yes. Um, are most board members on for a long period of time, or do they kind of come in, serve, and then maybe exit and make room for somebody else? So a little of both. We okay. have um, some that have been on for many years. Our president has been on for 20 years and never okay. left. Um, I'm a newcomer. I'm, okay. I've only been on there for two. We've had some that were on there for many years, took a little break, now are back. Um, so... Our average is probably four or five years, and then they might take a break, and maybe they'll come back one day, too. <laughs> In your capacity as a board uh, member, do you interact with the staff much at Sally Kate Winters? You said you meet once a month, so that's that's pretty frequent. Do you get to interact with them? And more importantly, what do you think about the staff? Oh, yeah, they're great to work with. Um, we have interacted with them not too long ago. We had, like, a backyard barbecue, and all the oh, yeah. staff and all the board were invited, and that was really fun. So it's good um, to have events like that that we can kind of mingle and get to know one another a little better. It takes a special person.
person to to do this kind of work you know you don't think about it but uh, obviously they're human as we all are and we all have to deal with the the trials and tribulations of uh, of our own lives our own families and then you come here to work every day and you're taking on somebody else's that's that's a special person special breed that's able to do that absolutely that, that's incredible and so i i wonder about uh, how they don't take some of those issues home with them and how they can separate the two. Again, that's that's uh, that's, that's quite impressive. Exactly. Those who can do that. It's incredible. Yeah. Jesse, appreciate you coming on the program and uh, joining us today. And thanks for your service uh, to Sally Kate Winters Family Services. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Yep. I'm proud to do so. That's a wrap here today on Middays from the Element Well Studios. It's Sally Kate Winters Family Services in West Point, Mississippi. Don't forget, you can donate to this great organization at sallykatewinters.org. We appreciate Sweet Peppers Deli for providing us lunch today, Milo's for the tea, and don't forget their extra sweet tea is now available in gallon jugs. We're out of here to today. We appreciate you joining us. Stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.